Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 51, Rails to Riches. Hello, welcome. First, the news. Fantasy Flight has announced yet more Lord of the Rings living card game stuff. There are three new nightmare decks for um, the Shadows of Mirkwood cycle. These are basically cards to modify some of the scenarios in that expand in those expansions to make them harder. Some of them are already hard. They don't need to be harder. But there you go. These are print on demand, which means the quality is a little bit different. It also means they're probably a little bit cheaper than a deck without as many cards. Also, the Isengard expansion should be available in January. And they've announced a new cycle called the Ringmaker Cycle. My other piece of news, I just received my latest issue of GMT's uh, C3i magazine, number 27. It has a copy of the States of Siege game in there, Soviet Dawn. What you get is a, a map, a bunch of counters, and a rule booklet that's eight pages. The graphic design is all really nice. And the counters are typical GMT quality counters. It brings no box since it just comes with the magazine. But the it's basically free because the magazine's about $27. That's the way I've been looking at it. I tried it out last night. It's a neat state of siege game. It's a bit more complex than live in mass, but not by a lot. I was able to jump into it by just being familiar with some of the other states of siege games. That's it for my news. Let's jump into... Well, we're now in January, so let's look real quick at... December Solitaire Gaming, based on the Solitaire Games on Your Table Geek List. In December, we had a total of 233 plays, which is a good number. There's 139 distinct games. That means 42 games were played multiple times, you know, some more than others. I'm not going to get as detailed as I have in the past. I have a feeling it hasn't been that interesting the way I've done it before. It hasn't been when I've listened to it. So, first up, the top game for the last few months has dropped to 6th place. 4th, if you're including the expansions. This is a Pathfinder. In 5th place is Race for the Galaxy and Pickett's Duty. Race for the Galaxy possibly because there was a contest going for it, going on for it. 4th place is Navajo Wars. 3rd place was Friday. 2nd place, The Hunters. And 1st place, a surprise for me, Eldritch Horror. The uh, new Fantasy Flight game that's, I, in my mind, it's a spin-off of Arkham Horror. And I have a feeling it might be replacing Arkham Horror, but I don't know. So that was that was pretty interesting. That was very different from all the previous months where the same game has held the top place. And suddenly it seems like everything's just been all jumbled up. So congratulations to Eldrick Horror. Number one game in December 2013. Speaking of 2013, I thought... As I've been doing every year, it'd be nice to look back at 2013 and look at my gaming highlights. You know, um, I went through the games I played 2013, looking at them, trying to see which one were the, like, the most exciting. And there's a bunch of neat games in there, but for some reason, I don't really... Most of them didn't stand out to me. And I, I don't think it's because of the games. I think it's just because 2013 was such a crazy year for me. I mean, a, a lot happened, really starting with the end of 2012, and we had mold in our house, and then my dog was diagnosed with cancer and we dealt with that and then we moved to a new house and all that stuff was keeping me so busy that really 2013 just flew by thankfully 
But nonetheless, I did pick up four games that were highlights. Um, and this is in the order I came across them, okay? Um, the first one is Barbarian Prince. This was a, a game I'd always wanted to play. I'd read about. I knew it was available as a print and play for free, but I hadn't bothered because I knew there's a lot to print. Actually, I'd tried at one point and kind of got frustrated with how much it was and trying to get the map to fit on the printer for me at the time. Um, so finally I found it in a geek auction and I bought it. And I got to play it, and it was really fun. I was, I was surprised just how much fun I had playing that game. So that was definitely a highlight. I ended up selling it to somebody basically for the price I got it, just to, to pass on the fun. I think if I play it again anytime soon, I will just use the online files because it is so much easier to do that nowadays, especially like with a tablet and that sort of thing. The second game was Pandemic, an older game. You know, this is a highlight for me because honestly in the past I didn't like Pandemic. I'd played it. I hadn't played it solo, but I played it with some friends and it it was the kind of game where it was fun and addictive and that kind of just turned me off to it. It was just, I don't know, it was too addictive and I just didn't want to play a game that was like that where you end up playing it five or six times really fast in a night and whew, I don't know. I think that reminded me of uh, playing uh, MMORPGs and just getting stuck in the leveling and that sort of thing. I don't know why it reminded me of that, because it's not at all the same, but anyway, there you go. I I was really scared off of it, and then they did the new edition, I decided to buy it just so I could uh, talk about it in the podcast, and I had a lot of fun with it. Number three, I picked In Magnificent Style, which is the Victory Points game, the push-or-luck Civil War game. I was surprised by how neat that was, and that's one game that... More often than others, I've been wanting to pull off a shelf to play again, just because it was, it was so different than any other war game I've played, and it was just cool. Unfortunately, I haven't had time to pull it off a shelf and play it. Um, it's one of the joys of doing the podcast. It's I'm always just moving forward, never looking back, unfortunately. It upsets once a year. <laughs> and the fourth item was The Plant, a solitaire role-playing game. And I picked this one just because it was so different from anything else. Um... It was a really neat game, very creepy, pretty depressing to play, but, you know, it's a role-playing game, and part of the point of it is to, to experience some emotions and something different than you wouldn't in your everyday life, and I think it accomplished that quite successfully. So there you go. Uh, Barbarian Prince, Pandemic, In Magnificent Style, and The Plant are my four highlights for 2013. There were many, many really cool games I played, and, you know, I'd like to pick them all, but that sort of defeats the point of picking highlights. Okay, so let's talk about today's game. It is Steam, or even Age of Steam, uh, by Martin Wallace. Age of Steam was published in 2002. Steam was published in 2009. They're more or less the same game. Age of Steam is a more complicated game. Steam was created basically to kind of simplify it and take some of the the toughness out of there to make the game a lot more accessible. These are games about uh, building railroad networks and delivering cargo. Some of the key points about these games is that you get to build railroad networks. You get to deliver cubes. In the world of Steam and Age of Steam, the people produce cubes in different colors, and they're highly desired in certain cities that are built out of those colored cubes, I guess. So your goal is to deliver red cubes to red cities and yellow cubes to yellow cities, etc., etc. Um, in both games, you get to upgrade your locomotives. All that does really is let you deliver farther. Both games have many maps. Age of Steam has many more maps in Steam. But uh, 
there are many maps available for each, and they each have a different feel to the way they play and support different numbers of players and that sort of thing. Both games have an action selection feature. In Age of Steam, each turn players auction to see who gets to pick this action first in the turn. Each action can only be selected by one person each turn. In Steam, there's a couple different ways to do it. I believe one is an auction, the other is based on the order of what actions were selected in the prior turn. The main difference between the two games is in Age of Steam, at the beginning of the turn, you could get loans and you have to figure out at the beginning of the turn how much loans you're going to need so you know how much cash to have. You don't want to get too many loans because you have to pay for them and you don't want to pay money for loans you didn't need to get. In Steam, you get the loans as you need them in the middle of your turn. It means in Age of Steam, you have to plan ahead much more carefully than you do in Steam. That that right there makes Age of Steam a much more complex, much more thinky game. The other difference is the way the score, the victory points are handled in the two games. I, I will just leave it at the fact that they are different. Some people prefer one, some people prefer the other, you know. I happen to own Steam. When the game was coming out, both were coming out, I wanted to get one. And I ended up just picking the one that I thought looked prettier. I like the maps on Steam because the maps look like maps with terrain features and that sort of thing. Where Age of Steam, they're just flat-colored hexes, pretty much. Anyway, so the reason I'm talking about this game, or these two games, whatever, is because there are some solitaire maps or variants available for these games. You know, it's primarily a multiplayer game, especially because of the auction and accent selection and the the conflict and competition that goes on during the game. But there are... But it is possible to play it solitaire. There are three maps that I came across for Steam that are solitaire, and the Solo Play variant was also recently published by Mr. Solo Play. And if you recall, I did an interview with him way back in episode three or four. Go check it out, I think it was really interesting. So, you know, I played the four that I found, and, you know, I've taken some notes on it. And let me go through and tell you what I know about them and what I thought. Two of them were free, two of them weren't. First up is Barbados. It comes as a two-map expansion published by Bezier Games and designed by Ted Aspach. The two maps in this expansion are Barbados and St. Lucia. Only Barbados is a solitaire map. In this one, there are a number of cities. They are all yellow cities, but there are also towns that you could build. And they come in different colors. And this one plays the most, I think, like a traditional Steam game. It's very straightforward. You're just making connections and delivering cubes. And that's basically it to this game. Of the light variants, I think this was my favorite one because it felt more traditional in building the network. However, there, there isn't a lot of variety in the network, so it's always kind of the same. I think what makes this game interesting is the cube, the mix of colors you're going to have. Each time you play the game, you're going to put two cubes on each city, drawn from the bag so you don't know what colors they are. So that kind of impacts in how you expand your network and how you decide to do your liveries and that sort of thing. It plays pretty fast, and it's pretty light. I don't know if I mentioned it, but this one goes for about $15 retail. So does the other one by Ted Alspec, which I'll mention next. That is Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico also comes in a two-pack published with Jamaica. Puerto Rico is interesting because it only has two color cubes in it. Um, the idea is that Puerto Rico is delivering uh, weapons for the United States, and the weapons are represented by, I think it was the black cubes. You have to deliver them, or 
I believe, where you lose the game or maybe at least severely punished for not delivering them. But they don't pay any money. All your income is going to come from just delivering the red cubes. This one was less interesting for me than Barbados. I think it was because of the lack of variety. Um, there's only two colors and you could deliver them all to any city. Um, and I, I kind of like the challenge of trying to figure out which colors to deal with in each turn. Anyway, so there's two, only two colors. You're going to place the color in all the empty space, all the cubes in the empty spaces. So unlike a traditional map, you're just building tracks everywhere. You know, it gives you more variety in what you're building, which is nice. And it might be very different from game to the next game. But, I don't know, it just felt a little weird for me personally. This one's also short. And one very nice feature is you could adjust the difficulty. Basically, when you play, you have something like, there's some black cubes. I think it was a total of 22 cubes. Some of them are black. Most of them are red. You could adjust the difficulty by just adding more black or and fewer red. But the balance is always the same number of 22 or 20-something. Both of these, I said they're commercial and you could buy them. When you do get one of these, you, you know, don't expect a lot in production quality, I guess. They come in an envelope and they're two very plain looking maps published on cardstock. They look plain because that's what traditional Steam, I'm sorry, traditional Age of Steam maps look like. So, you know, what, you, what you're buying is just an interesting variant map to have another map, not a neat high quality product or whatever. Okay, the next two variants I'm talking about are now the free ones. First is the uh, Niihau, which is uh, an island in Hawaii. It's a little bit interesting history behind it. I don't remember it, unfortunately, so you're going to have to read it yourself if you print this out and read the rules. Niihau is a Hawaiian island that's privately owned. Anyway, so I like this one because it was tough. That was surprisingly tough, as a matter of fact. Of the four, I think it is the hardest. Um, going broke in the game is a very distinct possibility. As a matter of fact, I did go ro- broke one time. Your money's running low and you're high in debt. And sometimes you're not sure if you're going to make it out by the end of the game or not. You, you might have a negative score or not. The games where it didn't go broke, my score tended to be around 6. Um, to compare to the other maps, the Barbados map, the scores have been more around 60. Like Puerto Rico, you can have cubes on every space, or most spaces. Actually, what you do is you you put a bunch of cubes in the bag. I don't remember the exact number. More than you can actually put on the map. And then you start placing them one per non-city space, or non-town also. Once you're done, if there's any black ones that you placed, you take them off the map. Those spaces just don't have anything. Then after that, when you're playing each turn, you're going to draw one cube from the bag. Like I said, you're not going to use all the ones that you put in the bag. There's some there. Whatever color you draw, you cannot deliver that turn. If you draw black, you can't deliver anything that turn. So it makes it random, and some people may not appreciate the randomness. That's actually pretty interesting, because for me, I thought it actually made it a bit more like the multiplayer game, in that, not that the multiplayer game has that randomness, but in the multiplayer games, a lot of times you got a strategy, and you know what you're going to deliver, and then one of your opponents goes first and delivers that. And so that color that you're going to do is suddenly not available to you you got to come up with some alternate strategy that's not your ideal. And so I think this this random color rule simulates that a lot and simulates it very well. It's a good map for a fast, thinky challenge. Now again, I don't like the way the networks develop in that they didn't feel as much as a, a multiplayer game, and I enjoy the way it feels there. 
you make these weird twisty tracks just because you want to get to every space. The final one I'm going to talk about is the solo play variant. This one is big and it's complex, a lot like, um, well, a solo play variant is. Um, he designs them to feel a lot like the, the full multiplayer game when he make, when he makes a variant for any game, he generally tries to, to capture the, the feel and spirit of the full multiplayer game. I think for this game, he met that goal very well. Um, however, it, it doesn't play like a multiplayer game in that there's a, well, there's a bunch of things that are just very different. First off, you have to print a, a board with a bunch of cards that you get to put on it. Each time you play, you'll choose a different card and they kind of just change how the scoring works. One of the really neat things, I think probably what makes this such a strong variant for me personally, is that you could actually play with any map. Ideally, you play with a large map for five or six players, but it can work with smaller maps too. Um, and I tried it with a small map of London, which is meant for three or four players. No, I'm not sorry, not London, but the Western U.S. And I played it with a German map, and you know it worked with both, and they both felt very different. Now, what it doesn't capture though is if you're playing with these very maps. At least I don't think it does. I didn't try it, but it. I don't think you want necessarily want to use the variant rules, or you may not be able to in every game you play. I think in some maps, some variant rules may not work with this, but you could still just use it as a, a different map. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, so, so the way this map works, or this variant works, is you're gonna have a board, and now you're gonna put a, a scoring sheet. I think something like 14 different scoring sheets. So you're gonna pick one and use it. And then you're gonna, and you're gonna assign six colors to each different scoring row. And they progress from negative numbers to positive numbers at different rates per map and per row. And then some of the, uh, not per map, I'm sorry, but per, per scoring board. And some of the scoring boards have something to make it a little tougher or give you some bonuses if you deliver certain combinations. So, so it gives you a lot of variety each time you play. You could play the same. Uh, map over and over, it might be, it'll feel differently just because of that, and well, because of the random cube draw each game. But it has that, and it has a neutral, or neutral company it's called, which is basically, exists there to, to build more tracks and, and kind of give you that big, f complex feeling that you get with a multiplayer game. Uh, I think it's also supposed to, to give you the opportunity to make some of these crazy, Networks, sometimes you have to build sort of strange, curvy tracks just to be able to get where you're going, to get around your opponents, and that sort of thing. Um, when I played, that didn't happen for me. I think I was playing some of the rules for the neutral company wrong. I think there is opportunities to build some of the, uh, the funky tracks. As a matter of fact, the neutral company can build some of the funky tracks. I just didn't do it when I was playing it. I, th I think I said the map definitely got crowded. I never felt constrained. In the maps I played, well, you know, the Germany map, I went bankrupt and I lost, and that was because I was doing it wrong. I had messed up the one of the rules about getting loans, so I went bankrupt, and I probably shouldn't have if I'd done that correctly. Um, but I think I only got to turn five, so I never got a chance to get very crowded. The other map definitely got very crowded, and there's tracks everywhere. And it was very nice to look at at the end of the game. One of the things I like about the game is just the aesthetics of the the map and the train networks. Now, it's definitely the longest of the four. I don't remember how long it took me to play this. Um, 
the second time I definitely had a better feel for the rule and I was playing more smoothly. And it probably took me two hours. I bet you could get it down to an hour, an hour and a half when you play. This, I also spent a lot more time thinking about my choices, trying to figure out how I want to take my turn. You don't get that as much as in the other solitaire maps, or in the solitaire maps that I already mentioned, as you do in this one. In this one, there's a lot more thinking. What's the best way to accomplish my goals? There's also a rule in this I forgot to mention, which you got required deliveries. Um, starting with the second turn on, each turn you have to deliver specific color cubes. I think the second through sixth turns, you got one cube you got to deliver a specific color. And then the last four turns, you got two cubes you got to deliver in a specific color. So, you know, that isn't at all like in the real game. I think that is in there to simulate dealing with an opponent, like I said before, and having to figure out what you're going to deliver. You know, sometimes you don't think delivering a yellow cube is your optimal choice, but you want to do it before your opponent gets it. And I think it sort of simulates that. It did definitely make it tough and interesting, though. I, I like that, and it was very. I found it a very unique idea for Steam, and I really liked it. So, like I said, basically, like, uh, for example, it might be on turn two, you gotta deliver one blue cube. It doesn't matter which blue cube, but you have to deliver a blue one. So, you're gonna be building your network in such a way that you're gonna deliver these cubes on each turn, and you're gonna plan ahead. You're gonna be planning ahead to make sure you could get them throughout the game. And uh, there's an easy, standard, and difficult version of the game. And the harder it is, the fewer failed required deliveries you can have. I think you lose with three or two even, and the easy with five. And in the easy ver version, you lose with five failed deliveries. You could play with any map. Did I mention that? I bet I did, but th this is so cool about this variant um you know i've after about seeing i've been getting every expansion that's come out for it since then there's three so far and i've barely played them just because i haven't had the opportunity to play them you know maps are for specific numbers of players so you know you might have a map that's for five players well if i just haven't had a chance to play steam with five people i just haven't played that map with this variant i could play every single one of them and so the, the, I found, I did find it hard and confusing. Um, you know, fortunately, if you do have questions, you could post them on the file upload page for the expansion. And uh, Mr. Soloplay, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. But he will answer your questions, and he's very helpful. Um, there's also an example of play and fact on there. I know, I know I had the... Well, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive I had the rules wrong for how the neutral company expands. And after a while, I decided, you know, I'm just playing it the way it seems right. I found that it didn't matter to me if I was getting it right or not, just because I was getting the pleasure of building my networks and having to deal with these tracks that are now somewhat in my way. There's a rule where the neutral player always goes first, the neutral company, unless you draw a certain event number or something. Like that. I didn't, you know what, I didn't worry about it, I just let him go first all the time. I think they might have taken away some interesting choices from me, but it didn't matter to me. Honestly, what I like about Steam the most is just the, the opportunity to build these nice-looking networks and delivering cubes. Um, the tough choices that you get, especially with Age of Steam, are fun, but for me, not a requirement. Not for this game. So, 
so I was able to play it and enjoy it a whole lot without having to worry about if I got a lot of the rules right. This this map definitely, this variant definitely accomplished, I think, the goals it set out to let you play with any map, let you get a feel of having multiple people on the board and building big networks and building around other people, ne other networks, and giving you interesting choices of where to build and what to deliver each turn. Alright, so those are the four Steam Age of Steam variants. If... I don't know if I would buy the, the game if I didn't... If I was only going to play for Solitaire. You know, if the solo play rules did not exist, I would definitely say no. Don't don't spend your money on Steam. Your Age of Steam. Unless it's super cheap. But now that that variant exists, it, it is a more... Plausible idea. Because again, now you could play it, and you have interesting games, and you have big networks. And again, because it, it makes it an interesting solitaire experience, and because you could use any map you own. So, all right, that's that's Steam, Age of Steam, and it's multiple variants. I should also mention, I'm sorry, the I've been mentioning Age of Steam and Steam, and talking about both, you know, a little bit, I guess, because all these upset possibly Ni Hao work with either Steam or Age of Steam. As a matter of fact, the two Ted Alspec maps, Barbados and Puerto Rico, were originally designed for Age of Steam before Steam was ever published. The solo play variant is designed for Steam, but he mentions what changes you want to make if you're playing Age of Steam instead. I do know there's also uh, an Age of Steam solitaire map, I think it was Hong Kong. I tried it once a long time ago. It didn't work out for me because I was using some sort of weird hybrid Steam Age of Steam rule based off my vague recollection at the time. Um, so it ended up not being that interesting and I think that was my fault. I haven't gone back to seeing if there's any Steam rules for it now. But it, if you have Age of Steam, you know, definitely want to give that one a try. Alright, so that's Steam, Age of Steam, and its many variants. Um, thanks for listening. Oh, a couple more things. If you haven't noticed, and if it's not too late, you know, I'm probably publishing this episode late on the 15th, which means at the earliest you'll be listening to it on January 16th. I did finally start my solitaire, well, not my solitaire, I finally did start my uh, game auction on BGG. Go check it out. If you have time, it ends January 10th, I'm sorry, January 16th at 10 p.m. Eastern. There's not as many solitaire games as I'd hoped to put in there. Honestly, there's not as many games I'd hope to put on there. My wife went through the, the games I did try an auction and a bunch of them. She said, no, nope, I'd like to keep this one. So, alas, I'm sorry. Though, honestly, I think I had said I was going to try and, you know, auction as much as half my collection and... I only put 50 out of the 400-ish I have, and she didn't get rid of that many, so I never came anywhere near my goal. Also, if you're listening to this on January 16th, wish me a happy birthday. Woohoo! Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at OnePlayerAlbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek list on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. 
The show is published under Creative Commons, non-commercial, share-alike license. Thanks for listening.